Book seven, chapters forty two to fifty one of Commentaries on the Gallic War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Commentaries on the Gallic War by Julius Caesar. Translation by Thomas Rice Holmes. Book seven. Chapter 42. While these events were passing at Gergovia, the Aedui received Litavicus's first message. Leaving themselves no time to find out the truth, they were impelled, some by greed, others by anger and rashness, an innate quality of the race, to take an idle rumour for an ascertained fact. They plundered Roman citizens, murdered them, kidnapped and enslaved them. Convictor Litavis added fuel to the flame, and hounded on the masses to frenzy, in the hope that, once committed, they would feel ashamed to return to reason. Marcus Aristius, a military tribune, was on his way to join his legion. They promised him a safe conduct, and made him quit the town of Cavillonum, compelling the Romans who had settled there for trade to depart also. Forthwith they fell upon them on the road, and robbed them of all their baggage. The Romans resisted, and their assailants beset them all day and the following night. Many were killed on both sides, and the assailants roused numbers to arm. Chapter 43 Meanwhile news arrived that all their infantry were in Caesar's power. Hurrying to Aristius, they explained that the government was not responsible for anything, and ordering an inquiry about the plundered property, they confiscated the goods of Litavicus and his brothers, and sent envoys to make their excuses to Caesar. Their motive was to get their countrymen restored, but, stained with crime, fascinated by the profits of plunder, for many had had a hand in the outrages, and dreading retribution, they began to make secret preparations for war, and sent embassies to gain over the other tribes. Caesar was aware of their designs. Nevertheless he spoke to their envoys with all possible gentleness, assuring them that he would not judge the whole people harshly because of the ignorant folly of the masses, or abate his good will towards the Aedui, anticipating that the insurrection in Gaul would spread, and desiring to avoid being surrounded by all the tribes, he began to think out a plan for withdrawing from the neighbourhood of Gergovia, and once more concentrating the whole army in such a way that his departure might not be attributed to fear of a general defection and resemble a flight. Chapter 44 while he was meditating on this problem, he thought he saw an opportunity of striking a telling blow. Going to the smaller camp to inspect the works, he noticed that a hill in the possession of the enemy was completely deserted, whereas before it could hardly be discerned for their number. In astonishment, he inquired of the deserters, who daily flocked to join him in great numbers, what was the reason. They were all agreed, and Caesar had already found out the same thing for himself through his patrols, that the ridge to which the hill belonged was nearly level, but where it gave access to the further side of the town, wooded and narrow. The Gauls were intensely anxious for the safety of this place, and one hill being already held by the Romans, they now felt sure that if they lost the other, they would be all but surrounded, fairly cut off from all egress, and prevented from foraging. Every man, therefore, had been called away by Vercingetorix to fortify the position. Chapter 45 On learning this, Caesar sent several squadrons of cavalry thither about midnight, 
ordering them to rove all over the country and make a good deal of noise. At daybreak he ordered a large number of pack-horses and mules to be taken out of camp, the pack-saddles to be taken off, and the drivers to put on helmets, so as to look like troopers, and ride round over the hills. He sent a few regular cavalry with them, with orders to wander further afield, so as to increase the effect. All were to make a wide circuit and head towards the same goal. These movements could be seen far off from the town, as Gergovia commanded a view of the camp, but it was impossible at such a distance to make out exactly what they meant. A single legion was sent along the same chain, and after it had advanced a little way it was stationed on lower ground unconcealed in the woods. The suspicions of the Gauls were intensified, and they transferred all their forces to the threatened point to help in the work of fortification. Noticing that the enemy's camps were deserted, Caesar made his soldiers cover their crests and hide their standards, and move, a few at a time, to avoid being observed from the town, from the larger to the smaller camp. At the same time he explained his plans to his generals, each of whom he had placed in command of a legion, warning them above all to keep the men in hand, and not let them advance too far from over-eagerness for fighting or lust for plunder. He pointed out that the unfavourable ground placed them at a disadvantage, which could only be avoided by moving quickly. It was a case for a surprise, not a regular battle. Having made these instructions clear, he gave the signal, at the same time sending the Aedui up the hill by another path on the right. Chapter 46 The wall of the town was nine furlongs in a straight line from the plain, where the ascent began, without reckoning any bend. The turns that were necessary for easing the slope added so much to the length of the climb. About halfway up, running lengthways in the direction indicated by the formation of the mountain, the Gauls had built a wall six feet high of large stones to check any attack by our men. All the space below was left unoccupied, but the higher part of the hill, up to the wall of the town, was thickly covered by their camps. When the signal was given, the men rapidly gained the outer line of defence, clambered over it, and took possession of three camps. They did this so quickly that Teutomatis, king of the Nitiobroges, was surprised in his tent where he was taking his siesta, and only just broke away, naked to the waist and with his horse wounded, from the clutches of the plundering soldiers. Chapter 47 Having achieved his purpose, Caesar ordered the recall to be sounded, and immediately halted the tenth legion, which he commanded in person. The men of the other legions did not hear the sound of the trumpet, as a considerable valley intervened, till the tribunes and the generals, in obedience to Caesar's command, tried to keep them in hand. Elated, however, by the expectation of a speedy triumph, by the enemy's flight, and by the recollection of past victories, they fancied that nothing was too difficult for their valour to achieve, and pressed on in pursuit till they got close to the wall and gates of the fortress. Then a cry arose from every part of the town, and those who were some way off, panic-stricken by the sudden uproar, and believing that the enemy were inside the gates, rushed pell-mell out of the stronghold. Matrons flung down clothes and money from the wall, and leaning over with breasts bare, stretched forth their hands and besought the Romans to spare them, and not to refuse quarter even to women and children, as they had done at Avaricum. 
while some were let down from the walls and gave themselves up to the soldiers. Lucius Fabius, a centurion of the Eighth Legion, who was known to have said that day, in the hearing of his men, that he was fired by the recollection of the rewards that had been offered at Avaricum, and would suffer no man to mount the wall before him, got three men of his company, and, being hoisted up by them, clambered up the wall, then in turn hauling them up one by one, he lifted them on to it. Chapter 48 Meanwhile the men who, as we have pointed out above, had assembled near the other end of the town to fortify the position, heard the outcry, and presently, stimulated by a succession of messages telling them that the town was in the hands of the Romans, sent on horsemen ahead and hurried up at a great pace. Each man, as he successively arrived, took his stand under the wall and swelled the number of his comrades. And now a great multitude had assembled, and the matrons, who a moment before had been holding out their hands to the Romans from the wall, began to adjure their menfolk, and displayed their streaming locks, as Gallic women do, and brought out their children for all to see. It was no fair fight for the Romans. The ground was unfavourable, their numbers were inferior, and tired out by their rapid climb and the protracted combat, they could not well hold their own against men who had just come fresh into action. Chapter 49 Caesar, seeing that the fight was not on a fair field, and that the enemy's force was increasing, became anxious for the safety of his men, and sent an order to Titus Sextius, the general whom he had left in charge of the smaller camp, to take his cohorts out quickly, and form them up at the foot of the hill, on the enemy's right flank, so as to check their pursuit in case he saw our men driven from their position. Advancing a little with his own legion from the position which he had taken up, he awaited the issue of the combat. Fierce fighting was going on, the enemy relying upon position and numbers. Our men upon valour, when suddenly the Edui, whom Caesar had sent out by another path on the right to create a diversion, were descried on our exposed flank. Being armed like Gauls, they caused a violent panic among our men, and although it was noticed that their right shoulders were bare, the recognised symbol of peace, Yet the soldiers fancied that they were foes, and had done this on purpose to deceive them. At the same moment the centurion, Lucius Fabius, and the men who had climbed the wall along with him were surrounded and killed, and their bodies pitched down from the wall. Marcus Petronius, a centurion of the same legion, made an attempt to hew down the gates, but overwhelmed by numbers, desperate and covered with wounds, he said to the men of his company who had followed him, since I cannot save myself and you, I will at all events try to save your lives, for it was I, in my lust for glory, who brought you into danger. You have your chance. Use it. With these words he dashed in among the enemy, killed two of them, and forced the rest back a little way from the gate. His men attempted to help him. It's useless, he cried, for you to try and save my life, for blood and strength are ebbing. Go then, while you have the chance, and return to your legion. So he fought, and soon fell, and so he saved his men. Chapter 51 Overborne at every point, the Romans were driven from their position with the loss of forty-six centurions. The Gauls were relentlessly pursuing when the tenth legion, which had taken post in reserve on comparatively favourable ground, checked them, and the tenth was in its turn supported by the cohorts of the thirteenth which had quitted the smaller camp under Titus Sextius, and occupied a commanding position. 
the moment the legions reached the plain they halted and showed a bold front to the enemy and vercingetorix withdrew his men from the foot of the hill into his entrenchments nearly seven hundred men were lost that day End of chapter 52